Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of In Depth with Beth and Seth. How glad we are to have you along for this listen. I am Beth Hoffman Faith, Minister for Congregational Care and Worship at Plymouth Congregational Church in Minneapolis. And each week we take a deeper dive into what was preached, the message from the prior Sunday. So we are looking at Sunday, January 31st. And I am here with my esteemed and beloved colleague, Seth Patterson, who was this week's preacher. Hello, Seth. Hello, esteemed. I'll take that. I'm going to put that on my business card. There you go. Esteemed colleague. Hi, Beth. Uh, It is good to be with you. My name is Seth Patterson. I'm the Minister for Spiritual Formation and Theater at Plymouth Church in Minneapolis. And yeah, I did preach this sermon last week or last Sunday. Uh, And it was called The Power to Act? Question mark. I, I like to put questions into the title. I try to not tell people what to think in a sermon, but rather lead us through some questions. And the scriptures were two of them, which we don't often do. Uh, one from the Hebrew Bible, Deuteronomy 18, 18 through 20, which talks about bringing a prophet to the people. The prophet will either represent God or not. If people don't listen to the one representing God, they will be punished. And if the person doesn't represent God, they will be killed. And then the other one is Mark 1, 21 through 28. And this is the first time that we hear Jesus teaching in the synagogue. And uh, it talks about how he did so with authority. I had to chuckle a little bit when I saw your title with the question mark, because the week before you had commented on my title that had a question mark and how much you like certain titles with question marks. And so there was a time where I trend. Well, there was a time where I held it strict. Like I would not have a title without a question mark as just for myself. Uh, That has not been consistent, but I often try to. That's interesting. And I appreciate the way you explain that in that you're not trying to tell people what to think, just inviting them to ask some important questions, which you do in the sermon. And you begin the sermon with the most beautiful illustration. As you remember Nettie's birth and thinking about her birthday celebrated uh, the week you were writing the sermon. And I I was captivated, I will tell you, as you preached this. And I got to listen last Thursday as we recorded. And I said to you after that, you know, what a gorgeous illustration. There is such power to me in a well-done sermon illustration. Mm-hmm. And so I'd love to just hear a little bit about how you decided to choose this particular story as an opening for your sermon. I know it was um, generated maybe a bit by Nettie's birthday, but also let's have some conversation about the power of story in a sermon. I agree with you that a, a great sermon illustration makes a sermon. It's something that I personally struggle with. And part of it is um, the place that I preached before Plymouth, it was not what was asked of the preachers. It was really more, it was an academic institution and the sermons were to be teaching purely, um, just more interesting than a traditional professor talk. So part of it is habit. And part of it is, 
I have always struggled putting myself into the sermon because I don't want to make it about me. I want to make it about the questions at hand. But I've been hearing consistently at Plymouth that people want that. They want to hear, to learn about us through our sermons. And so I've been actively working to put some in and it's still a struggle. But this one was easy because Nora and I had spent the week marveling at this seven-year-old and remembering seven years ago when she emerged into the world and, and all of the things that come with it. And for me, I don't mention this, but I hold a little, when I, when I stared at her laying on the table and I, and as I said in the sermon, I chose love and put my hand on her chest and held her hand and talked to her. I've always held a little regret that I didn't pick her up. Mm. So even though I chose love, I didn't, I still held a little fear and I couldn't figure out how to put that into the, into the sermon. Cause I didn't pick her up because she was all had tubes all over and stuff. And I didn't want to mess it up, but I've always regretted not picking her up. That's interesting. And, and it also kind of leads into to your message. Well, the, the illustration that you offer us is, is poignant and it's personal. And those of us who have either given birth, witnessed birth, or been around any fragile newborns, I think could really resonate with that catapulting of emotions. First choose no harm, right? You only want right. to love, but also uh, overcoming that. I think a good illustration when it works, it's because it is particular enough to be intimate, but points to a universal that everybody can understand. Whereas maybe not everybody has had a child or been around at the birth of a child, but we've been around at the birth of something mm. and and known that moment of what do I get to do here? Who am I in this situation? What is my power or my authority? Well, I often begin my sermons with an illustration. Now, um, you're much better at it than I am. I, I'm pretty transparent uh, for better or for worse. <laughs> Sometimes it's, you know, that uh, I might offer more than people want to hear. I have been especially challenged in these last six months to find illustrations that seem to work with the sermon. I think it's because of the time we're in. I think it's because of the intention of the message we're preaching, mm. but I'm missing my my sort of typical practice of being able to offer, whether it's a story from my life or, or from life in general uh, as an opener. So I think maybe that's another reason why it was just, you just pulled me right in with this beautiful illustration. And it works for your thesis. So I want to ask, what led you as you were prepping for the sermon? How did you get to the core of your message from where you began? Oftentimes, I get there by reading the scripture and not liking it. <laughs> that there's something in it that I that I just that rubs me wrong or that sits with me incorrectly that I don't like, and then I have then I have to analyze it and figure out well what is it. And in the marks in the mark passage, the pericope, mm. we, uh, it talks about Jesus having an authority and we've had so much national dialogue about authority lately, especially as it applies to who owns truth and who owns, um, fact there's been talks about authority. And so that, that sort of hit me oddly, but then I kept asking myself, how, how did they know? What did authority look like? And the same thing with Deuteronomy. I mean, it's very it's very easy to say ah one one's a good prophet one's a bad prophet but how, in the moment how do you know how did the people know that Moses was the real deal and not Josiah who tried to lead them the other direction like how, well how and did, isn't that a question we have to be asking ourselves 
almost every day as we yeah. watch the news, as we listen to prophets, quote unquote, from both sides of the aisle, from all walks of life. Who do we listen to? It's a great exactly. question. And so I looked up the word for authority to find out what what was it. And it had an alternate way of translating, which is the power to act, which then I said, well, I have the power to act. Everybody mm -hmm. has the power to act. And and that's and that's sort of the way I walked down this path. And then I realized, well, if we all have the power to act, and yet Jesus did something substantial and important and novel, what was it? He acted out of love, even though his society was telling him to be scared. Mm. Well, and you do, you use this quote a couple twice uh, in your sermon, so then it must be important. Fear is fear may be contagious, you say, but so is love. I think that really resonated with people. Fear may be contagious, but so is love. Is that something that you had already been thinking about? Is that something that just became more apparent to you as you were writing the sermon? Tell me about that. It it has a lot to do with being a parent of a of a now seven year old, and we talk about fear a lot both in the way that we try, you know, in talking about the insurrection or the coup or the whatever you want to call it happened on the Capitol at January 6th. In trying to explain this to our child, we put it in terms of fear that people were afraid. Somebody was afraid. It made everybody else afraid with them. And that fear forced them to do things that were unkind and like bullies. So fear is a big part of our daily conversation in this house. I'm afraid she's afraid before she goes to bed about something. So fear, that conversation is ever present. And I and reminded again how quickly it's infectious. She was afraid of a monster under somebody else's bed, not because she was afraid of it under her own, but because her friend was afraid. And, and it, well, if she's afraid, then I should be too. Well, and I thought that was another really beautiful illustration and a perfect way to sort of illustrate something we can all identify with as particularly in this time of pandemic and this time of uh, racial reckoning in this time that we're living in, fear seems to be prevalent and right here, right now. So maybe we can make a different choice. And and if And the reason I use that twice is if we follow the quote logic, of the sermon that in those moments we are met with the twin choices of love or fear, then if fear is contagious, love must also be. And silence is neither. And so we have to, we have, we have the power to act and to do so in love helps show others that they're not alone when they're doing. It helps us feel not alone when we see others doing and, but sitting in silence and doing neither thing is neither thing. Or, or that is choosing fear, maybe. Right. I think you're right on, Seth. I think this was a sermon that really obviously spoke to a lot of people. So I have one final question because I know we're running quickly out of time. But I thought it was a really powerful tool to bring in the translation that is the power to act. And I wonder if you could just speak briefly to how you understand authority and the power to act any differently. Oh, to my ears, and I said this in the sermon a little bit, that to my ears, authority holds a certain amount of control. That if I have authority over you, Beth, I have a certain amount of control over you. And to hear that, or that I am better than you in a way. And so if Jesus had authority, I understand that that was probably translated with the sort of end of the story, knowing that Jesus was, it was foreshadowing, like we knew the end of the story and how 
how special he was, but this is the first time he ever taught. Mm. So did he really have authority yet? Whereas the power to act is much more uh, universal. It's much more, I think, understandable. Almost all of us would say in many ways, we don't have any authority, but we might have the power to do something. Well, and it's in that, that power to act that becomes sort of the walking testimony. It's what people see and understand and can begin to believe when we actually do something rather than just saying a bunch of words. Right. Yeah, it's walking the walk. And I think that's part of the way that what what we read in the Bible is is translated translation of translation of editing of editing of lost documents. We don't know what was originally written. But in the translation, there's always a choice. And I see a certain amount of um, colonialism and supremacy put into that word that Jesus was had authority. Whereas if it talked about him having the power to act, well, then that gives some power to all of us and, and takes it out of him. Right. And it invites us to be participants. Yeah. And I think that's that's a powerful piece too. Well, Seth, thank you for an excellent message this week. If our listeners haven't yet heard the sermon, you can find it at Plymouth.org under the worship tab. I encourage you to take a listen to The Power to Act, preached by Seth Patterson. As always, Seth, it's a delight to spend some time with you uh, to talk about the sermon and how it felt to write it and to preach it and whatever might come next. And I appreciate, Beth, that you are doing this with me today, even though you are technically, quote, on vacation and you just returned from driving through a blizzard for like 30, 40 hours. (laughs) bringing your daughter to Boston. So I lost count of how many miles I drove, but I've spent five days on the road and am very road weary. So I'm just hopeful that anything I've said so far in this podcast has been coherent. That's always my hope too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you listeners. That's another episode of In Depth with Beth and Seth. Blessings to you and be well.